Well, good evening, everybody. We're so glad to see you all tonight. It's interesting that we have made it this far. We're about a third of the way through with our study of Revelation, um, which is very interesting because tonight we get to really start digging into some of the serious woes. And they're described like that. The ending of chapter 8, we'll be in chapter 9 tonight, but at the ending of chapter 8, one of that eagle... That eagle just stands up and he just says before them, um, he tells them, he says, look, says, then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it was directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets, the three angels are about to blow. You're going to have the next three trumpets because we know we've seen four. We're going to start with number five tonight. The fifth trumpet is an interesting one. Um, it, is, it is kind of a scary one. Many pastors consider this one of the scariest scenes in the book of Revelation. Only because as it describes it, it's hard to believe that this, the one who is allowing this to happen has a central purpose in mind. Um, before we get going tonight, I would like to open us up with a word of prayer, and then we will dig into the scriptures. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we get to look into this amazing book. We're grateful, God, that you chose to give us your words to encourage us, to lift us up, to help us to see that judgment and mercy um, are part of who you are are a big part of who you are. So God, we ask this day that as we open your word, that we would be able to understand truly your heart in what you are trying to tell us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So um, before we get into to chapter 9, I want to just finish us off with chapter 8 because when it talks about those woes, there's a few things going on in chapter 8. Remember, you had all of the things in a, a third of the earth, a third of the rivers, a third of the sun, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, a third of all humanity, a third of everything was going to be gone from chapter 8. Why a third? I had several people in the last couple of days ask me, I don't understand the whole third thing. Well, you got to have to understand, folks, that it's this way. When we think about two-thirds surviving and one-third not. And we want to know why that would be from the judge. How about this? Maybe thinking about the fact that God wanted some to see that judgment is coming. See, when trumpets sounded in the Old Testament, Ezekiel, there's lots of them, Joel, 2 Kings, um, Numbers, there's many places where trumpeters announced different things. Some of them announced the birth of new children for the, for the royal family. Some of them declared feasts. Uh, sometimes they, uh, whenever they changed to a new king, trumpets would sound. By the way, trumpets in the Old Testament, most likely 99% uh, of them were big giant shofars. Does everybody know what a shofar is? It's like a ram's horn that they would blow, and that's what the trumpets were. So you can picture those giant things being just blown to, and everybody hearing them. But then they were also, shofars were given to the guards on the parameters of the cities. To, and they were up all night guarding. And as they would guard, you know, they didn't have electrical alarms that they could push a button and announce to everybody somebody was coming. 
they would announce through those trumpets. And those, those shofars would be announced and they would tell everybody, get ready, an enemy is coming. So a lot of what we understand from the trumpets, the reason that we went from the seals to the trumpets, the seals, if you'll notice, were about reading. The seals were opened and then you will see that they kind of started the announcements of judgments, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? Then you had all of the different um, plagues and things that were coming out and, and the angels that were given specific tasks and things like that. You know, this one's going to take away this and this one's going to... And then they took four angels, remember, and they put them on the four corners of the earth and said, you have to wait a little bit. Yeah, well, hold on to your hat for that one. So then once they were out there, then we went to the trumpets. And as the trumpets are announcing the first four trumpets... It got a little hairier. Now we're seeing a third of everything being taken away. And it's, it's almost as if God is trying to give a message to people. Who is he trying to give a message to? We're going to learn about, a lot about that in the ninth chapter here. So let's go ahead and start there. And it says, and the fifth angel blew his trumpet. I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened, and the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or green plant or any tree, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death will flee from them. I'm only going to those first six verses because I don't even know if we're going to get past that tonight. There's a few things that I would hope that we would realize that's going on in this picture at the beginning of this chapter. The fifth trumpet sounds. The first four were bad. But the fifth one sounds after the eagle has flown over and says, whoa, get ready because the next three trumpets, five, six, and seven, they're not pretty. And he's trying to warn us of these woes that are coming. And when he starts to describe how those, when John starts to, to tell us what he sees in the heavens, it's all of a sudden he feels like somebody needs to know about this because somehow a star fell from heaven. Anybody have an idea who that star is? That's, who had a Lucifer, very good. It was Lucifer. The, the star that fell from heaven was Lucifer himself. And the fact is that he's, and, and the interesting part about this, Jesus, Jesus even refers to this part in, in the book of Luke. And my brain just went blank on which chapter and verse. Don't shoot me. So, but it's in the book of Luke where Jesus says, hey, I, while I was there, I saw Satan falling from heaven like a lightning bolt to the earth. Jesus saw this, 
And Jesus describes it. And later on, when we get to the later chapters, you're going to see that they describe this as well. But this is when he fell. Now, a couple of key features that I want us to really hone in on. First off, he was given the key. What it says? It says, and he was given in verse 1 right there. He was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He didn't take it. He didn't have it. It wasn't his to own. And the only reason that he was allowed to do this was because God gave him permission. Told Jesus, go ahead and do that. And one of the ways that we know that it was Jesus doing that as well, that in chapter 1 of of Revelation, uh, verse 8, I want to say verse 8 or 9, somewhere in there, it tells us that Jesus holds the keys to death and Hades. Well, I'm not pretty I'm pretty sure that if you're going to describe Hades, the abyss of hell, that would include the bottomless fathomless pit to me. I mean, when I looked up the you know, I, I'm a little different in this kind of stuff, so I went and looked up the definition of the bottomless pit. Because, you know, a lot of us see that and think, well, that's just cuz we can't see the bottom. This is described and and defined as the abyss that is fathomless. There's there's no, it's fathomless. There's no light. There's no dark. There's no life within it. It is a lifeless, fathomless void. That amazes me. Because that means that all of these, the smoke that rose, These locusts that came out, they're all up there trying to push their way through the shaft to say, oh, good, we get to get out, we get to get out, we get to get out. And then they're allowed to leave. And they were given power, it says in verse 3, they were given power like the power of a scorpion of the earth. Now, has anybody here ever been stung by a scorpion? Good. Another thing I get to do by myself? Great. I'm so happy. Yes, it hurts. Not only does it hurt when you get stung with a scorpion, but it burns unbelievably. And you get these these fevers, and then you start to sweat, and you start to shake. And this thing really hurts for a long time, even after you get rushed into the hospital or actually I was taken to an ER. But I I was rushed in, and they gave me this stuff to drink, and it was thick like a thick serum syrup that I had to drink, but it was the only way that it could get there fast enough to be able to help me. Well, in that, when you see how that affects, then you're looking at these, these locusts who are thousands and thousands of them. That scorpion, trust me, he only got to sting me once because soon as I felt that, guess what? I squashed it. Okay, I, I was done. I wasn't going to let him do it again. Duh. You know, I'm not sure if anybody would let him do it again. But here's, here's the other side of this. And it says, and in those days, it was allowed to, to torment them for five months. So are these super scorpions? I mean, super locusts with scorpion abilities? I mean, these are something like that. Now, how, when we look at this, we want to picture a bug that's crawling around on the ground. But what's the key to the book of Revelation? 
It's, it's apocalyptic, right? This is an apocalypse. So this is, means that there is ways that we're going to be, that not we're, sorry, the people who are, those who dwell on the earth, remember who they are, those who dwell on the earth who don't believe who God is, who refuse to accept him and his mercy, who refuse to accept the wrath of the Lamb, they're the ones going to feel this torment for five months of these locusts giving them stings. Is it a physical sting? Some people say, yes, it can be. It will be. Some people suggest, I suggest, and this is just my own little thought, there are different ways for us to feel the stings of pain, isn't there? Think about when that doctor makes that phone call that you don't want to hear. Think about when you're getting sick and you're trying to figure out why and then all of a sudden you realize you have something that's going to take a little bit of work to get through. Like you have a big hole in your side and you have to carry a wound back for th four months. That was not pleasant. When you get these different things going on in your life that begin to torment you and hurt you, hopefully, hopefully, it will make you do one thing. Curse God, right? That's what you want to do with it. You want to curse God. That's not what it's for. Every one of these woes that we're going to be reading about here in a few minutes, that's not what they're for. Everybody wants to know why the woes. Woes are not good. Now, I'm going to give you a little hint when we get to the seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet won't come for like three more chapters later. It's like 11. And, and the thing about it, and it's named as a woe, right? He said, be ready for the next three rows. That's five, six, and seven. You know what the seventh trumpet is? Once it is played, the choir, the angelic hosts begin to sing the hallelujah chorus. And everybody thinks, why is that a woe? How can, how can angels singing the hallelujah chorus to, uh, as a woe? Which, by the way, after I started studying this, and I realized that's where Handel got the, everybody knows the Messiah, the music, you know, the or, oratorio. And, and I have had choirs before that have sung that song many times. Leanne was in a few of those choirs, as a matter of fact. And we, um, we did the Hallelujah Chorus, and it was always a celebration for us. So who would it not be a celebration for? Those who dwell on the earth. Very good, we're getting it. See, those who dwell on the earth don't want to hear those trumpets. They don't want the trumpets and the locusts being loose. Because I love when it says, you can hurt, let's see, verse 4. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any green tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Raise of hands in this room, and, and, if, you're, and if you wish to raise your hand at home, that's okay too. How many of you have the seal of God on your forehead? Everybody should be raising their hand. I'm just going to hint. Spoiler. Just everybody should be raising their hand. Folks, here's how we have the, the seal of God on our forehead. It's a light that shines from out of here. Remember, we discussed this before. It's that light of Christ that comes outside of you that others can see. Sometimes you don't see it. Do I always see it when I look in a mirror and say, oh, Bill, you have the light of Christ. Or I look at myself and go, dude, you really, ooh. <laughs> what happened to you? You didn't used to look like this. 
And unfortunately, there are those that have known me long enough who realize they're right. I didn't used to look like this, but I do now. But what I hope has never changed since, since February 22nd in 1971 was when the light of Christ first came into my life in Angeles Crest Christian Camp. We have to realize and know that even when we cannot see it or feel it or, or know that it's there, because another question I would like to ask, excuse me, how many of us have times in our lives when we don't feel like the light of Christ is on our foreheads? The seal of God is on our foreheads. There are times, aren't there? There are many times. Does it mean that we are discouraged with God? Absolutely. Thank you, darling. That's absolutely correct. Who is it that always moves? It's me. Everybody says, you know, I don't know what happened. God seems so far away from me. I want to look at him and say, well, God didn't move. Guess who did? You know, when we want to look around and see who moved, it wasn't God. It was never God. In the times when, when God brings people into your mind, and I'm hoping that through this series, some, somebody in your lives, somebody in what we call around here the, in your circle of influence, we're hoping that somehow somebody new is going to be able to see and hear the light of Christ that's on your forehead, that seal, and hear from you and know, and, and they may even look at you. You know, they may look at Brother Rick and say, Rick, what happened to you? What did you do? You know? And of course, knowing Rick, he's going to say, what do you mean? I just ate a donut. I don't know what you mean. You know, yeah, but that's just different. So here's my question. Is there anybody while we're doing this series that you think of that needs to know we want them to go from those who dwell on the earth to those who have the seal of God on their forehead. Amen? Amen? So if there are those that you think of who you would like to see that happen to, put initials on your paperwork there. Put it on this chapter's notes. And by the way, we're on chapter 9. You have the, the outlines for it. You can write their initials down there. You can see them down there. But somebody in your life who's done that. Oh, and by the way, is there anybody in here who was able to make the six minutes last week? Oh, we got one. Oh, good job, Ken. Ken was, Ken Kunkel is the only one to, to be able to make the six minutes of prayer. Because that is a very long time. Did it feel like forever? No, not for you? Oh, see, he was cheating, guys. He was already doing it. So I guess that kind of really disqualifies him, doesn't it? If he already was doing it and did it, what do you guys all think? But there, the vote is that you get disqualified from winning the prize. I don't know what the prize was. I was just going to make something up, but now I don't know what to tell you. Oh, I see. <laughs> so, but if you tried to do that six minutes of prayer where that you just listened for six minutes... I'm hoping that even in the, if you, if you were only able to do two or three, that you were able to hear the voice of God in that time. And then I hope that it didn't startle you and wake you up to where you shut it off. Because one guy this uh, yesterday, or today's Wednesday, last Sunday in church, 
when he came up to me and he says, Bill, I was trying the six minutes. I was about halfway in and all of a sudden I felt like I was talking to me and it kind of scared me. I woke up and then I quit doing it. Well, he said, partner, if God's talking to you, don't ever interrupt him. You want to know what he's going to tell you. You want to hear that. And I said, what was it about? And he said, and then I got so scared I forgot what it was. I said, well, then get back in there and go to the same place and do it over again. This time, get it straight. He said, I'll work on it. I haven't heard from him yet, so I don't know if it's happened. But I do know this, that the way he was describing how he felt when God was speaking, he said, I had this warm feeling come over me like all of a sudden it was, it was an amazing thing. And he said, and it was like better than hitting a home run in baseball, making a touchdown in football or anything else. It was better than anything I've ever experienced because all of a sudden I just felt like, oh, God's here. Wait, God's here. And then I woke up and I said, oh, it's too bad because you don't know now what he was going to tell you. So I wanted to bring up tonight, if you hear God telling, talking to you, please let him finish. It's kind of important when he speaks. As lots of people in here will tell you, when God speaks, you know, and Jonah, he tried not to listen when God spoke, and that didn't do so well for him, you know. So all I will say to you is this. If you don't listen to God, you're going to wind up in a fish. That's all I'm saying. So I can look at you straight up and say, no, please don't wind up in a fish. You know, if you ever hear me say that to somebody, you're going to know what they're doing. They're trying to run away from what God called them to do. Never a good idea. Also this week, I was able to get a copy of the book of Tobit and the book of Enoch. Enoch was, was seventh generation from Adam, okay? Um, he was before the flood at Noah. Enoch was Methuselah's father, is who he was. So Enoch lived to be 318 years old, but his son, Methuselah, lived to be 960. So he was... Methuselah still is the longest living human ever to live, so nobody else has ever lived that long. But I can't even imagine living almost a thousand years. That would, you know, I don't want to live that long. But when Enoch was, was writing down his sayings, his scriptures, his visions, because Enoch wrote some great apocalypses of this. Now, so you heard what I said, that seventh generation from Adam and Eve, okay? So if he was from there before Noah, and you go and you start looking at some of the writings of Enoch, and you realize he was talking about the Messiah who was to come to save the world. He was talking about, he, he, was, he was making statements on one day, Seven angels will sound seven trumpets. And when they do, here's who they are. And it is in the book of Enoch that we learn the names of these seven angels. The lead one being Raphael. Raphael is the lead trumpeter in, in all of this group. He always has the first trumpet. In these angelic hosts, in some of these other apocalypses, the Sibylline uh, oracles, for, for another example, you can talk about all of these books and everything else, but I just want to relate to this book because it is through other books that this book has received so much validity. 
everybody says to me, oh, anybody can believe a book and just, if you're just going to talk about what happened in the book and the book can justify itself. That's the amazing thing about what God did through all the people who didn't believe. They complained about Jesus and the way he disrupted Palestine and Capernaum and Jerusalem. They complained about the fact that he went over and healed this blind guy at a pool and the blind guy was running around and we had to bring him before the Sanhedrin and all he could say to us was, look, all I know is that once I was blind and now I see. He was no help at all. <laughs> what all of those historians did who complained about that, what? They proved how true and real this book really is. And it was amazing to me to see a man named Josephus, who was a Pharisee. He was a, 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 a Jewish man by, by when he was born, and he was in line to be one of the top Pharisees, but he was also one of their greatest historians in the Sanhedrin court. And he took all the scrolls from all of the people that were in those days, and he put them down into a group of scrolls and writings that people could read later where he talked about the 12 men who followed the Jew named Jesus. He talked about a lot of the instances. He gave very close descriptions of the trial of Jesus, who he was and what, what happened to him. He gave a very good description of the stoning of a man named Stephen who claimed that he could go to God in his spirit. And all of that time, what Josephus did not realize was he was proving how true this book really is. So as you go out and you think about these, these apocalypses and these bad things that are coming for those who dwell on the earth, please remember that if they say to you, if you ever hear these words, you don't even know that that's true. You can actually look them in the eye and say, well, you know what? I don't know what you believe, but I, I know they're true because so many people who didn't believe in this book have proven it. And then once they say to you, oh, really? Who? <laughs> then you got them. You just reel them in like a fish. It's really good. <laughs> because then all of a sudden they realize, ooh, this person knows what they're talking about. And it doesn't take much study. The great thing is with Google, I love Google because it can do one thing better than anything else. You can ask any question about the Bible and it's in there. How many times did somebody say your life is, you know, your life is worthless? In the Old Testament, there's all kinds of times that somebody said that. I would just throw random words in there just to see what would come up and it always does come up. But what that does is gives you a chance to realize that as you're looking through all of these scriptures, you're looking through the trumpets, you're looking through all these things, you begin to realize that as you're studying this and learning and understanding it, you're learning it and understanding it for another purpose. Everybody says, Bill, why do you talk about all these other books when all people want to hear about is the Bible? Because all these other books proved how true the Bible is. You all don't need to do that. Crazy people like me already did. But what you can do is stand before them, declare the words of this book and say, yes, I know how true they are. There is no doubt. There is no doubt to the validity of Scripture. That's how they, they phrase it. So when it says... They were told, those locusts, not to harm those who have and do not 
And, but you can only harm those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Your friends may reach over and look on your forehead and say, well, you don't have the seal. Oh, but yes, I do. See, the seal that's on my forehead comes from the seal that's in my heart. Because if you want to know what really happens when you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and he comes into your life and he begins to change your heart, that seal that he puts around your heart and your soul cannot help but to go up to shine through your face. That's what it's referring to when it says the seal of God on their foreheads. It's because it's a changed life in Jesus Christ who now shows such a light that everybody around them can see it coming out of here. I have friends who don't have any hair at all, and they say, yeah, we were given that so that our light could shine brighter. <laughs> I'm not calling out any names in this room because I know who's going to tell me this afterwards. But we do know, <laughs> we do know that from that, from that thing, when, when God tells them you have five months, they don't have a minute after five months. They're only given permission to torment those who wish they could die by death. And then in the last part of that verse, in those days, in verse 6, it says, in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. After 22 operations, I can tell you folks that there were times when I really did want to die. Trust me, the pain was bad. God didn't allow me, didn't know why then. I'm kind of figuring it out now. But if there's ever a time in your life when you just felt like that's it, I can't take anymore, I'm done. God, why do you have me on this earth? Did you ever know that sometimes when you pray, the answer is not always no or yes. It might be wait. It's coming. Remember when the martyrs in chapter 5 and 4 were saying, how long, O Lord, will you wait for your judgment on those who persecuted us because of we claimed your name? How long will you wait for your judgment? God's words were, remember? He says, just wait a little bit longer till those who came behind you are also going to get martyred for their faith. But when that day is done, you will see. Fifth trumpet starts it. Fifth trumpet starts to see. Those are, now, somebody said to me uh, Monday night in a study I was in, somebody said to me, so in other words, that one-third and one-third and one-third, those were all the really bad people. I said, I I don't know that, and I don't get to say that, and I don't know how that's, that, that's God's thing, and he did it, and there it is. We don't know who that's upon, but we know this. It is because of the justice of who God is, and these trumpets are announcing, get ready, the day is coming, judgment is coming. Whether you want it or not, judgment is coming. Remember in one of the seals opened and the mountains came down and they were turned into rubble, and all of those that were in that list were all trying to hide in the rocks to say, hey, cover us up so that the wrath of the Lamb does not see us. It's kind of hard to, when you're this size 
and the rock is this size. I won't hide under this rock. God's going to see. I like how they believe God wasn't going to see them if they hid under the rocks that God made. I'm not quite sure how that worked. But anyways, that I, just, I always ask strange, Randy, it's, I ask those crap, man, I can't help it. So when we get to the point that we start to realize that those who dwell on the earth matter to God, shouldn't they matter to us? You ever heard the saying, Lord, help me, my heart to break with what breaks yours? This breaks God's heart. It's his creation. Those who were created at the beginning to be image bearers of him and have chosen to go the other way. But he doesn't just pronounce total judgment in all of these seals and in all of the trumpets. With each one, you'll notice that the judgment gets a little bit closer to humanity. Gets a little bit closer to what we call the white throne of judgment. Gets a little bit closer to making it so that it is total judgment before the final judgment comes. That gives us time then to find those and just ask them how they're doing. Now, please, I'm not suggesting for a moment, please don't do this. Don't pick up your Bible and go bang somebody on the head with it and say, I'm going to get this Bible into you if I have to hit you over the head with it. We can't do that, gang. We can't force this on it. And I tell the mentors that I train to, to work with people, I tell them all the time, you cannot want it more than they do. But by that seal on your forehead and that shining light, you can be such a great example for them that all of a sudden they want to know that peace. Even in hard times, they want to know that peace. They want to know what it's like to, to get cancer and then all of a sudden through prayer of your friends, support of your family, all of a sudden they see that God is working in your family and then God starts to work in you. Okay, so how, how come God chose you? None of us have the answer to that question. I loved it when people said to me, well, how come God chose you to heal that hole in your side when the people prayed for you right back there in the corner? I thought, I don't know. Trust me, I don't know why God chooses whom he chooses. But I do know this. He never wastes the pain. And God always uses those he chooses. I made that up a long time when I was a kid teaching a little VBS. I said, remember, kids, God always uses those he chooses. Do you want to be one of those chooses? And I can remember the little third graders. I want to be a chooses. <laughs> they were great kids. But, but we all want to be chosen. We all want to be that example for God. Can we handle it? Yes. That's a lot of responsibility, isn't it? Think about it. Okay, guess what? Paul, you're not going to be able to see for a little bit. Saul, why are you persecuting me? You're on the road to Damascus, and I need to make you blind for a while because you've got to understand your next job. You only thought your job was being born tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of Hebrews and all of that stuff. No, what you're really trained for is because I needed you to realize you're going to have a very special task of joining the Gentiles and the Jews together to join each other in heaven one day. That's a pretty heavy job description. When these people who are 
seeing these locusts and getting stung for these five minutes, five months, all of a sudden now they begin to cry out to the holy God. And they begin to repent, which means just to turn around and go the other way. What happens then? Isn't that interesting? All through all of these torments, the seals, the bowl, the trumpets, and then the bowls when we get to them. Notice that nobody is ever destroyed, judged, or anything all the way until when it's finally done. Now, Eric did a great job a couple weeks ago of talking about those who believe that Christians are going to go up to heaven and be taken up and go into heaven's God's family before all of this trouble starts. Then there are some folks that believe while this is all happening, then Jesus is going to take his church home. And then there's others that believe everybody's going to go through this to prove who those are faithful, and at the end, then Jesus is going to take his church. And guess which one is right? God bless you, Darlene. You're absolutely correct. All of them have validity. All of them have a group of very well-meaning, very well-learned men and women who have studied and look at these scriptures, and that's what they believe. And here's what I know, that when all, whatever, which way it goes, that when we get to the end, that I get to be up there with Jesus, and I get to ask questions. And you know how I know I get to ask questions? Because when you looked at chapters 4, 5, and 6, and Paul was si or John was sitting there, and he was describing, and he started to weep, and one of those elders looked at him and said, hey, why are you weeping? Don't worry about it. The lion from the tribe of Judah is here. He's going to be able to open the seals. So in other words, there's discussion in heaven. Wow. I just asked God to give me my memory or let me take my little pieces of paper with me so I can ask all my questions of the right people. <laughs> okay, Bill lives in his own little fantasy world, but that's okay, because I know that there's going to come a day when all of this is over, all through the woes, all through this, and hopefully I can take as many of those who dwell on the earth and help them to find and become those who have the seal of God on their forehead. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Now, verse 7. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their hair, heads were what looked like crowns of gold, and their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions. Their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, and his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. I don't think it can get much more descriptive for you to understand the pain and torture that these things are going to place on you or their size or their noise or things. Now, if we're going to 
describe this according to every apocalypse that's, that is written. When you look at all of these things that they're fixed, let's look at, let's start in that one. Said they're horses. They were big. Okay? They were giant. Their heads look, look like crowns of gold. Meaning they were rulers of something. With a lot, big strong rulers. Okay? Like human faces. Hair like women's hair. Their teeth like lion's teeth. Which means they had a bite that was worse than their bark. Okay? They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. Their noise, in other words, they, they couldn't be, when you tried to attack them, it bounced off. I'm not allowed to name names, and I won't here. But when you look at these descriptions, please realize these are not just descriptions of animals. These are descriptions of some powerful beings that can cause a lot of pain. These are powerful beings that their, their five-month reign of getting to do what they get to do is unbelievable. There are those who believe it is going to be animals like this. That's okay. I understand. For Bill, Bill looks at this and reads into this a whole lot more than just these animals. Because they have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and he is Greek, he is called Apollyon. We have seen some evil in our day. There have been instances of evil that have happened in schools where two or three students decide that they can take guns and kill as many as they want to. And people want to talk about blame society and blame everybody else around that it's because of society that they did this. And then you have other people who knew and just said no, they were just, these, these people were just wicked and evil, even at their young age. Can I tell you what Bill thought? What Bill thought was, unfortunately, the enemy of God got to their hearts and minds before someone else did. See, they were operating as instruments of evil because that's what they felt was what they needed to do for them. I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, but I can just tell you this. It's not like it hadn't happened before. But anyways, a lot of times we would love to blame faces, people, positions, leaders for their actions and wish harm upon them. And would love to name them out and say, this person needs to die, that person needs to die. I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they did this. We're right and they're wrong. If somebody doesn't stand up and say, stop, let us find out what the real problem is. Because if you remember, oh, you don't remember because we're not there yet. When we get to <laughs> chapter 12, 
And we get to see when Satan gets thrown down. He is so angry, his vow is to do one thing and one thing only. Go after humanity. Destroy as much of it as he can. And his greatest weapon, my dear family, is this. Depression, anxiety, guilt. Guilt is one of his strongest arrows. And he can make you feel like you don't matter to God or anyone else in that. And that's because he knows our hurts and our soft spots better than we do ourselves sometimes. And when he does, that's when he sends these locusts to sting. You see, these locusts are, are not just only randomly doing this. Their king is two of the dominions, the demons of the devil. His job, he's over here, and we're over here, and his minions come from here. They come into the middle, and they say to him, what do we do? And he says, you go get them. Get him to think that they don't have to go to church. Get him to think that they don't need fellowship. Get him to think that, oh, because you didn't go to church now, you're a bad person. You're not worthy to go to church to be around those people. Instill in them the fear so much that they're afraid to be around people. Instill in them the fact that, oh, it's good enough if you just think that it's church and you give money to ministries. Instill in them that all they have to do is think good thoughts and behave and do good things, and they all get to heaven that way. Yeah, I'm going to get in trouble. Anyways, they, when he's giving these orders to these locusts, it's not always going to be in a super high-end sting. But it's going to be a sting that hurts your heart. That you can count. He made that vow when he was thrown out of heaven. When Jesus says, I, I saw Satan fall like lightning out of the sky onto the earth. When that happened and when he did that, that simply means that at this point, they get to do his bidding. And those two, Apollyon is going to be the one to be able to say, I need you to go take this. I will recommend a book from here that I don't do a lot of. But if you can handle reading it, it's called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. You want to learn some interesting things about what goes on in that? You read that book. That'll have... Don't read it before you go to bed, by the way. Read in the daytime. Yeah, read in the daytime. And those that have read it can tell you, read it in the daytime. Do that. When these two demons get their commission get their chances to go do what they're going to do. They have at their disposal five months of weapons. Now, some would say, okay, if I was, if I was looking for a weapon, I would want it to last a whole lot longer than five months. Wouldn't you? I want one that goes forever. You know, kind of like the guns in the old westerns that had 142 shooters. You know, and they would just keep having gunfights and everybody would just keep firing for like an hour and a half and you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I have a grandpa who has one of those guns and it doesn't have that many bullets in it. I promise. 
But these guys can fire 55 bullets out of a six-shooter. It's amazing how they did that. And I can remember as a, as a 12 or 13-year-old kid, hey, Grandpa, I want one of those kind of guns. That way when I'm out hunting and I miss, I can just keep shooting until I hit whatever it is I'm trying to find. You know, these guys only have five months. So what are they going to do? They're going to work day and night hard as they can to discourage, <laughs> create anxiety, and depress as many of those who have the seal of God on their foreheads as they can. They may not be able to show up in front of us for those of us that know that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. They may not be able to light up our room and create a ghost-like figure or something and say they do that to us. But if they can hurt our grandkids and make them look at us with such anger and mad because we didn't let them do what they wanted to do because we knew it was bad for them and tell us how much they hate us or our children. If you're a parent and your children never told you how much they hate you when they're teen years, then I don't know that your parenting was real good. Because trust me, mine did it a lot. And now to this day, they're all later in, you know, I can't say how old they are because I was warned never to say that. Three girls. To say, no, Dad, you can't say that on, TV, on screen whenever you're on screen. I said, oh, okay. But when the enemy knows he has five months to do it, he's going to come after us as much as he can. Does anybody see where it says only a few of these things are coming out of the pit? I was trying to look for any type, any type of number in the original language of the text. Hopefully it would be like 5,000. I'm thinking, good, they're all on the other side of the world. It doesn't say that. It just says, rose smoke and a great furnace, and send the dark in the smoke, the shaft, and then out of it came locusts. Now, anybody who's had any kind of farming thing knows that locusts are never in small numbers. They're always, they, they, can, you can, they can cover the land and look like a sea of brown, dark brown, just dirt on a ground for miles and miles. So in thinking about how this is going to happen when these, when these animals come out of here, the first thing that I want to think about is all of my friends and families who have to realize that their breastplate that they have here is nothing compared to the breastplate of righteousness that we get to have. And if you wonder where that is, that's in Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. It's called the armor of God. Because the one thing that these stingers will never be able to reach and penetrate is when Paul tells us, put on the armor of God that you may be able to stop the darts of the enemy. And when Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, and he says, understand that the, the, the devil, like a roaring lion, is going to come after all of those who call upon the name of the Lord. So beware. Be ready. Don't let him win. They have stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. 
Five months is a long time. In five months, a lot of damage can be done, both to your heart, mind, and soul. Five months of accepting that you're not good enough in your own mind can change the thought of who you are. Five months of living in a dark depression can make you have thoughts of just ending your life more than you can even understand and know. Five months of wondering whether or not the people in your lives that you believe love you and all of a sudden something happens and you start to disbelieve that. Five months of you telling yourself nobody loves me, you're going to feel pretty unloved. So what's the key? What do we need to do? I knew I wasn't going to get finished with this chapter. So we'll keep, we'll, we're going to finish with verse 11. Actually, let me read verse 12. <laughs> the first woe has passed. Yay! Oh, wait. Below, two woes are still to come. So the one with the stingers and the scorpions is just the first one. There's two more to come. Yay, I'm so excited. What do we need to do? Repent of everything in our lives that is contrary to God's will and way. Think about it. What do I have in my life that I do that is contrary? I don't know that I'll ever be able to stop doing all those bad things all at once. To be honest with you, is Bill going to be just fixed in a minute? No, probably not. Am I going to still fall down on some of those things? I know a big one would be if I would quit driving on the freeway. That'd be a big one. Kirby, I'm, I can't help it, man. I get on the freeway, and some of these drivers, dude, they're just right in front of you, and then they just decide to cut you off. And I asked my daughters once, I said, did somebody put a sign on the front of my car that says, cut me off? So a big part of my anger management thing would get taken care of if I quit driving. That'd be good. Can't do that, but that'd be good. Number two, we need to intercede for mercy on those who do not know Jesus, for those who are not part of those who have the light in for, on their forehead of God. As you think about those, as you think about those that are in your life, around your life, maybe you have a friend, maybe you have a friend whose sibling is struggling. Pray for them a lot. The more times that you can go to the Lord in prayer on someone else's behalf, the better that message is going to be getting through to them. And then remember, James tells us, you have not because you ask not. And then when you ask, you don't stick with it. Let's stick with it. So just like last week, I gave you the six-minute challenge for listening to God. So today is, what, April 6th. So if you put under your, your, under your, on your outline right there, April 6, 2022, right? How about this? 
Right underneath that, would you write May 6th, 2022? And here's why. For the next 30 days, at least if you can, once a day, not if you can, please, once a day, pray for whoever God has brought to your mind that doesn't have the seal of God on their forehead. For those that don't have it, please go through for the next 30 days. And let's see what God does between now and May 6th. Now, don't be surprised and don't blame Bill, by the way. Don't blame Bill if all of a sudden that person calls you out of the blue and wants to know what you're doing. Please don't stumble and stutter and say, Bill. Because it's not my fault. You prayed for him. So you need to pray and pray and pray. And then all of a sudden, when God brings that God moment together, and this is number three, we need to look for God moments in our life. And part of that is you got to pray for words of wisdom. And while you're praying for those words of wisdom, you always declare truth. The one thing about this book is that we never have to make up the stories. We never have to not tell the truth. We never have to act like it's something that's just more amazing than we can tell you. Because we all know how strong God speaks to us in that still small voice, don't we? We've heard that still small voice enough times to know when we were supposed to do something or weren't supposed to do something and we didn't do it. And then later on we think, well, it's a good thing I didn't do that. You know, God didn't want me to be there for that. When we begin to pray for the words of wisdom, for those God moments, when those God moments happen and we open our mouths and the words come out, I have a friend, he's a chaplain, and he says, and he'll text me and say, I love being in the grandstands and watching God work when I speak. I wish I knew what I said. Because it's God working through him, and he, all of these words are coming out of him, and he's, he's watching it as if he's on the sidelines, which tells me a little bit that he's a little schizophrenic, but that's a whole different story. But when he does this stuff, he says, I'm watching God work, and I stand amazed because the words coming out of my mouth, I would have never thought. But God did. When you open yourselves up to that six minutes, just listening to him. Pretty soon, you're going to hear things that don't worry. Jeannie, stay with me. It's going to be great. You're going to do fine in this. Don't you worry. Kilby, don't worry. You got this. No, you cannot have a brand new Corvette, but the other things I've got for you, you're going to love. You see, I mean, it's, it's all of that stuff that you look at and you just think, how is God going to work in all of this? in this other person's life. You may be the only Bible the other person reads. You could be the only Bible. The only time they're going to hear scripture is the one that says to them, you know what, I'm so sorry you're hurting like this, but I want you to know that I'm going to sit next to you during it. I can't imagine how much you're hurting. I know how much I hurt when I went through something similar, but I do not know what you're feeling right now, but I do know that I'm not going to let you go through it alone. And sometimes that means just sitting there not saying anything. Sometimes that means you're just there. Do they want food? No. 
Do they want a glass of water? No. Do you want this? Do you want that? No. Just sit there with your arm around them. And sometimes it's silence for five or ten minutes. And later on, they will tell you that that five or ten minutes meant more than all of the words in this whole book that you could have spoken to them. So part of fighting these locusts out of the bottomless pit who are very powerful rulers with crowns on their heads and stingers in their tails is a simple fact that we stay in communion with a holy God who loves us and is the greatest strength we could ever have because if he didn't give them the power to do their damage of what they're doing, they couldn't do anything. That tells you how powerful God is. That's why when people ask me about the book of Revelation, I say it's one of the most encouraging books for Christians, and they all look at me like I've lost my mind. And that's okay, I've seen it before. But I say to them straight up, you have to understand, when you're on God's side, and you know that you have that light on your forehead, you can realize very easily that this book is to encourage us to be wise in the way that we speak to others. To be, to have compassion when we talk to those who dwell on the earth. If we can do that, when we can do that, and we're open for those God moments, the amazing things you are will see, you will see, will amaze you and humble you one of the biggest moments in my life is when a friend of mine wrote me and said, I went to church and, and prayed to receive Jesus. And her and her husband would probably have laughed at me to see me cry and weep for joy at those words. Because for so many years I prayed for that family. And God did it. I didn't have to do it, but somebody did when they moved to Texas. And that's the exciting part. So, dear family, May 6th, we're going to pray for somebody that we know and care about greatly who does not know who Jesus is, does not know the Lamb of God who came to save the sins of the world. We're going to pray for them. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father. We we stand amazed that you would choose us, that you would give us your mark on our foreheads for others to see. We don't believe we deserve it, God. And sometimes, Lord, I realize that that's the very reason that you're using us. I thank you that you're not looking for stars, but you're looking for servants. May we be those servants that walk in Jesus' light, that walk in his wisdom. And Father, for all of those on the streaming and all the people that are in this room, for all those who, who have people coming into their minds who they need to pray for, remind us to pray for them every day. Remind us to hold them up and to wait for the God moments that you bring to us that we're able to share with them 
the light of the world. I ask that you be with those at home that need to have the touch of the great physician. I ask for those at home who need to have a spirit of fear of going outside removed. I pray for those at home who need to be strengthened and encouraged this day just because they're worn out from the battle. I pray that the strength of Almighty God would fill that house. May we walk with you in wisdom and, and in the light. May we walk with you in safety. And Father, we ask all of these things in the holy name of the Lamb of God, your Son, Jesus. Amen. For those of you on the stream, thank you for joining us tonight. Um, I do try to keep this part to an hour. Um, it will give you time to be able to discuss and pray with each other, maybe discuss a little bit more further and deeper. If you have questions, please remember to send them to pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. I would love to hear from you. I've been loving getting all the questions that I have, and I, I answer them as quickly as possible. So if it takes a couple days for me to get back to you, I will. Um, just wanted you to know. God bless you. We love you all. Remember that Easter Sunday morning here at Lighthouse Community Church in Costa Mesa, we have a 9 a.m. service and an 11 a.m. service. Please feel free to come to either one. Uh, we will be having donuts at the beginning of each service, so you feel free to come and join us. God bless you all and have a great week.